Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. It's so gl- I'm so glad to have you here, Pastor Philip. It's so good to have someone who's ministry in Sabah to, to be with us this, this morning. So excited to have you here. Thank you. It's a joy to be with all of you here. I, you know, um, you've been hearing me talk and, and pray today uh, that um, we're going to go on a 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. So we've been sensing, the elders and the pastors have been sensing the past three years that we're in the last days. And, and we're going to embark on this that the church can spiritually awake and rise up and be the church in the last days. So my, my, as an opening question, right, that, uh, oh, oh, by the way, Pastor Philip is here to speak in Tongling Bible College tomorrow. So we're just borrowing him for today to speak into what, what's happening in this church. And so the first question, which is a broad question, a leading question, Pastor Philip, as our church embarks on this season, and you speak around the, the nations as well, what do you sense the Lord is saying to the body of Christ today? Uh, I think that, good morning everyone, and it's just a joy to be here. I, I think uh, the Lord is uh, on the cusp of wanting to do something for churches that will prepare themselves uh, for the next phase. We have a convergence of a lot of, a lot of moves in the world, uh, whether it is the whole of the internet and the AI and with climate changes and other things that's converging in the world. Uh, um, and, and there's so many distractions and so the, I sense that the Lord wants to do something uh, and manifest His glory if we will get back to the basics. And that basics would actually be founded upon a fresh and a renewed desire for God. Not just for the actions that are associated with doing church, but to hunger for Him alone. And so today, in many ways, I'd like to just talk about uh, this whole area of uh, God preparing us for revival. And I would like to uh, title this, you know, Facing uh, Revival. And I, I know that Facing Revival is something that uh, many of us long for, but I, I want us to see it more than just um, uh, a whole area of just um, encountering revival. I want us to begin to prepare ourselves, to immerse ourselves uh, in revival. And so when I talk about Facing Revival... I'm talking about two things. Firstly, what does revival look like when it breaks out? And secondly, how can we be open uh, to the things God does in revival? Um, And I'm going to just share with you very briefly this morning as uh, I I dialogue with your pastor, uh, with Pastor Ben, um, just two areas. Basically, facing revival when it breaks out. And secondly, shepherding revival when it spreads. And I'd like to just take you to this particular uh, passage in Acts chapter 19, which talk about the, which talks about the whole of the revival that breaks out in, that broke out in the city of Ephesus uh, in the New Testament. And uh, I would like you all to read this really loud, okay? Because as I sit down here, I don't have the volume to shout out because I'm just sitting down comfortably. But you combined can have the volume to make a difference so that the whole of Pasiris area will hear that there's the most happening place in the whole of pastorates is in River Life Church. Can somebody say an amen? So turn to your neighbor and say loud. Okay, can you start reading this really loud? Ready, go. 
Then, then he, he, he Paul, had daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Continue. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, when Paul, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battled. Now final bit. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. And somebody say amen. amen. This was Ephesus. Now that was uh, 2,000 years ago. And yet what happened in Ephesus has relevance to us today as we look towards what God wants to do today. Pastor Philip, this is an amazing text. In fact, we just finished preaching on, the, on Acts, the first five chapters. And Acts 19, the Ephesus revival, is one of the greatest revivals in the New Testament, arguably. And so the, 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 so the, the question I have for you is the story, is the revival in Acts 19 in Ephesus a good model for us to prepare for a revival? And what does it look like when it happens today in modern day? You know, the story of Acts uh, 19, uh, the story of Ephesus. Now, Paul established a church in Ephesus in Acts 18. Not much was mentioned about Ephesus. We think that Timothy actually landed in Ephesus and, and pastored the church there. So it was a small church that was growing. It was doing reasonably well. And then on his third missionary journey, Paul decided to visit Ephesus. And when he went there, something unusual broke out in Ephesus. Now, we want to look at facing revival. I don't think Paul was expecting this. I don't think anybody was expecting this. But, you know, in, in Paul's journeys, anything can happen. So it is the same thing. You know, uh, we don't know when God is going to bring revival, but it's going to happen. Can somebody say amen? And we pray that it will happen in, in the nations of Asia, including some Singapore. Somebody say amen? Uh, are you excited about that? Uh, are you expecting revival? You lift up your hand and wave at me if you are expecting revival. Well, I see there's faith in this church. But what does revival really look like when it happens? You know, I don't know if you've been in revival before, but uh, I have uh, been in a revival. I, I visited Toronto in 1994 when revival broke out, and I was there for about 10 days. 
And uh, I have also visited uh, revival places in Malaysia. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Two revivals broke out in Malaysia. They didn't impact the whole nation, but they left a lasting legacy on, on, on the church in that region. Now, the first thing I'd like to say is that revival is, is in pulsating. You know, it, it really pulsates with life. There is mass salvation and the preaching of the gospel as well. Uh, it says here, to all the residents of, so all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's in verse 10. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's in verse 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's verse 17. So if you read the text here uh, on the break, the outbreak of revival at Ephesus, the word of God prevailed mightily. So the first thing was, there was preaching of the gospel, systematic, faithful preaching of the gospel. And then revival broke out. Now what Paul was doing was, he was in a synagogue, and uh, then the, the, the Jewish uh, uh, leaders chased him out of the synagogue. So he went... To, he borrowed a hall, a public hall, in the city of Ephesus, the hall of Tyrannus. And for two and a half years, probably, he was preaching in the hall of Tyrannus day after day, systematic preaching of the word. Now, that's what you have in River Life. That's what you have in many churches in Singapore. The systematic preaching of the word, we're having a good time. You know, God is present, we engage the Lord, but it's not that out of the ordinary, just a systematic preaching of the word. Somebody say the word. And the word is the undergirding bit of revival. It's very, very important. But somewhere, sometime, somehow, during the systematic preaching of the word, revival broke out. And how it broke out was, if you read the text, it actually says that Paul was just preaching, and then one day, a small miracle happened. And then another miracle happened. And then another miracle happened. And then another miracle, and suddenly, miracles were breaking out. And revival broke out. So it was in the continuum of the preaching of the word that revival uh, broke out. And this is very much how the Welsh revival broke out. Um, There was a man called Evan Roberts uh, in the early 1900s in Wales who was woken up uh, by by the angel uh, every night at about 1 o'clock in the morning. And he would pray until about 3 o'clock in the morning before getting back to bed. And God spoke to him through that angel many, many things. And he cried out to God that God will revive Wales. And he asked God for 100,000 souls uh, in Wales. In those days, that was a huge, mighty number. And then he would go back to sleep and then wake up for breakfast the next morning by 6 o'clock. And his mum, who was serving him breakfast, he was staying with his, his parents, would say, what's happened to you, Robert? You look so different today. He would not tell anybody anything. He would not say anything. He would not tell anybody what he'd been doing for, for that night. Uh, then he would go to work in the coal mines. And a couple of years into this, through the systematic of, uh, preaching of the word and through, uh, and, and through prayer, through prayer, revival broke out. Suddenly, somewhere along the line, the churches started packing out. People were lining out outside churches. And, and revival broke out in Wales. And it, it spread right across, not just the churches, but into the workplace. Uh, and Wales, if those of you who've been to Wales who know, uh, the early days of Wales was, it was, uh, it in this main industry was coal mining. It just went right through the, the, the cities of Wales and right into the coal mines. So that instead, gambling stopped, you know, drinking stopped, men stopped beating their wives. Uh, there, were, there was a lot of uh, money left at the end of each month uh, because they were not gambling and, and drinking. 
uh, for, for the children and for food and for, for clothes and, and so on and so forth. And, and debts were cancelled, crime stopped, um, the greyhound gambling tracks went bankrupt and the language of the coal miners uh, changed because the coal mines were swept by revival. The cursing, the cussing, the swearing all stopped. It stopped to the point that the ponies that were pulling all the, the coal out of the coal mines couldn't understand their masters anymore because there was no more cursing in the language. Uh, and that happened in the Welsh Revival. And at the end of just 18 months, 150,000 people, it's estimated, came to know the Lord. So it's pulsating. Revival is pulsating. Come on, if you want to give the Lord a hand, give him a big hand. And there were unusual signs and wonders as well, as you read, you know. Unusual signs and wonders bro- broke out. And sometimes we expect when unusual signs and wonders break out that there would be just things we would predict, or somebody gets healed there, another person gets healed there. But when unusual signs and wonders broke out in Ephesus, they were truly unusual. Inanimate objects like handkerchiefs and aprons uh, that was that touched the, the, the body of, of Paul were brought uh, home and, you know, uh, laid upon your grandmother, and your grandmother jumps out of bed from her stroke. That's incredible. How many of you would like to see that happen? Wow. It's amazing, right? And you just take to the hosp- go to the hospital, lay the handkerchief on your father who's in ICU, and then you know what? He starts waking up, and they have to extubate him. That, that's amazingly what happened. But the uncomfortable thing for many of us when you hear this is, you know what? We have this too uh, in the spirit realm, you know, in other, in other uh, facets uh, of 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 uh, other dark uh, other uh, other facets or other beliefs. For example, some of us were brought up where we, we had inanimate objects brought and we had to drink it or you know and and and, and pray for it for prosperity or for healing to take place. So when inanimate objects like handkerchiefs and aprons could be used to touch the lives of others and heal. Uh, some of us who come from very different backgrounds might feel, well, you know what? It, you know, I've seen it in some of the days before I was saved as well. But I want to tell you this. God is the original one. Somebody say amen. amen. Because, you know, uh, you know, God is the original one. He's the one who, who caused even inanimate objects to have anointing so that it can heal. Why does God do it? I don't know. But it happened. And if you see these things happening, that sometimes when you come to church and pastor prays over the, um, uh, the handkerchief, you know what? I, I tell many of you, you'll be so kiasu, you'll bring a whole pile of handkerchiefs to church, you know, because you want, you want to get them, uh, all your relatives and everyone saved. Um, and, and just imagine how exciting uh, this would be in that time. And I would tell you that God is the originator of this kind, that even inanimate objects can actually transmit healing. It's in the Bible. Uh, even in the Old Testament, you may know that in 2 Kings chapter 13, somebody was burying a dead man. And, uh, you know, raiders, they saw raiders coming down. So in, in desperation to just dump the body on a shallow grave of the prophet Elisha. You remember that? Second Kings. And the Bible tells us now, the moment the, the body of that man touched the bones, the bones of Elisha, he sprang back to life. Now, don't ask me to explain that. It's in the Bible. So somewhere along the line, the inanimate bones of a prophet carried anointing to bring life. That's an amazing thing that God does. And some of these can be disturbing to us. But these are the things that God does that's so unusual in signs and wonders. How many of you were ready to be open to all that God wants to do in signs and wonders and healing? His way. Can I see your hands? That's going to happen. It's in many ways uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. 
so thank you, Pastor Philip, uh, that God, and, and remember also Jesus, uh, also healed indirectly when they touched the hem of his garment. Yes. Yes, and, and last Sunday, we, talk, we spoke about miracles. Yes. In fact, and praying for the sick and wow. miracles. So, so today, it's like you, you're just uh, reinforcing that, that, that's, that's Abahan's sermon. So you, you've mentioned all the wonderful things uh, about the revival, and I'm wondering, exciting things as well, uh, amazing miracles. So I'm wondering, is there a cost to revival? Is there a cost that, that uh, we need to pay for revival? And uh, is there also some pain associated with the revival? Um, some maybe teething issues, some birthing pains. Could you talk to us about that as well? Okay, revival is exciting. Somebody say exciting. exciting. So revival also has a cost. It can be painful, okay? It says here, many uh, who became believers confessed their sinful practices. They, they confessed their sinful practices. Now, the sinful practices here is not just uh, they had occultic things, you know, and, and the horoscope books were being burnt and so on. But sinful practices here included all kinds of sinful practices. You see, one of the things about about revival is that it, it is pan-invasive. It invade, invades all aspects of our lives. And so people come forward confessing, confessing their, their pride, confessing their arrogance, confessing their, their way they rumor monger and backstep other people, confess the ways in which they have lied and cheated uh, or stolen, confessing the ways that you know, they have been <clears throat> um, watching pornography or getting addicted to substance abuse or, or whatever. Uh, all these sort of things that are private and secret now comes out in the open because, because there is a move of the Holy Spirit that brings such conviction of sin that those things which we are so ashamed of, now we expose it to the light, and that's painful, and yet as we expose it to the light, there is huge freedom. And when people see that happening to their friends, to the people that they know, uh, they, are, they, some, they break. They, the, the, the enemy does not hold, have hold upon their secrets anymore. And this was actually very clearly shown during the Barrio revival. In Malaysia, we had two revivals. They happened into the, in the interior of Malaysia on the island of Borneo, uh, near the state of Sabah, where Pastor Ben comes from and where I'm ministering uh, today in the city of Kota Kinabalu. But in the state of Sarawak, which is next to, to Borneo, on the highlands of, uh, of Barrio, uh, what we call, the, there was a tribe they called the Kalabit tribe, which had been evangelized in the 1930s, 1940s, and 50s. There was a great Christian community there. So there was largely Christian. And in 1973, revival broke out. And this is how it broke out. In a school, during, um, during a Christian union meeting in the school, from, uh, and the, the students suddenly came under conviction of sin, cried out, and the teacher uh, started crying out. And asking the students to forgive him for his own pride. The students cried out. They started praying. And then this is what happened. They started confessing the sins to each other. And returning items that they had stolen from each other. You know, sometimes months and years before. Erasers. Pencils. <laughs> pens. Rulers. You know, a little bit here and there. Money. Small amounts of money. And that just swiped right through the school. The principal of the school was totally against what was happening. He was a Christian, but he was a totally backslidden Christian, dry as a bone. And he was totally against this because he wanted them to study, to prepare for the coming public exams. And they were just praying, you know, in the day and praying at night. And he was really against them. He, he wanted to shut it down. So he told them, 
he was going to penalize all of them, uh, and he's he's going to shut down this whole thing. And uh, so they couldn't meet to pray. They had to just study alone, and there was not going to be any meetings. And one day, the students came to the principal, knocked on his office, and said, Sir, can we see you? And the principal said, Yes, you can. So set them down. And so what's it all about? They said, Sir, if you don't mind, with all due respect, sir, we, we really come humbly before you, and we will not dare to come to you, but only because God has asked us to come to you. Get on with it, said the principal. What do you, what do you want? And they said, sir, we just want you to know that, you know, the Lord told us that you have been, they said, with all respect to you, sir, you have been hiding a secret charm, an amulet in your pocket. And you rely on that secret charm and amulet for your protection and, you know, for, for, for wisdom and you're relying on the spirits. And God told us that unless you take this out, you know, God won't bless you or protect you or your family. Now, he was a backslidden Christian. Nobody knew about his secret amulet. It's always kept in his right pocket. Nobody knew. With that, his whole demeanor changed. He broke down before them and cried and wept before them and asked forgiveness from the Lord and from them. And then he lifted his hand away from the revival that was happening and the whole revival broke out in the school and eventually right across the villages. And God began to, to touch the lives of the churches all around. And people stood up and confessed their sins. They stole a chicken, you know, last year from this guy. They stole a pig from his the other guy, and, and that sort of thing. And you know, and and great, great pain and great freedom and great joy came. Just imagine if the Lord was to do that to you today, and you have to come out in no ordinary circumstance. If you had to come out and confess your sins, or if you have to come out and you know tell them about you know what kind of videos you've been watching or whatever, it's a very very painful thing. It's still there. It's during revival. There's still a pain of it. But the move of God is so incredible that you know what? The forgiveness and the freedom and the joy, you know, just, just breaks the threshold of this potential shame and this potential pain. Yes, it's painful, but there is great freedom, you know. And, you know, some of them are quite, quite frightening because uh, sometimes the prophetic word goes out during revival. And I remember visiting one of these villages um, in the interior of Sabah, a, a place called Maligan, where a revival broke out from, from Barrio and came to that place. And these are stories of, of um, uh, you know, sometimes these villages would sit around a fire. And one of the stories was a, a woman, one of the, the believers in, in the village, this ordinary woman, she suddenly felt that the Lord had given her something to do and say, so she said, I have a word from the Lord. And they said, okay, can you share it? And then immediately she got up and they were sitting around a fire and she started running around the fire like an aeroplane. She just spread out her, wing, her, her arms like an aeroplane, just ran around, making a humming noise as she goes around. Now, is this of God or not? Well, you just see what happens. She goes around, stops in front of a man, says, the Lord says you have stolen the chicken many, many years ago, you know. And the Lord says, you, 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 know, you repent because his forgiveness is upon you. And uh, that happened three years ago, you know, in that particular part of the, the village. And you, you, it's proof of the pudding is in the eating. The man falls on his knees and cries out to God. It's true. And then she goes around again. And then that's when everybody starts shrinking, so slouching in their seats because they don't want this movement to stop me. And Would you like the Spirit of God to move like that in the church service? How many of you like that? It is sometimes painful. You know, why does she have to go around with her arms outstretched like an aeroplane? I don't know. 
But maybe it's just her own psychologically that she needs to do that. But the fruit of what was done was lasting. And that's how we know this is of God. So, and great fear came upon them. You know, in that's Acts 19 verse 17. When they saw this happening, they're like, it has to be God, but that's a fear, that's a terror. The terror is not just like a reverence awe. There's a huge awe and reverence of God, but there is a judgment and holiness of God. And they, they feared God, you know, during that time. It's the same with the Brownsville Revival in 1995 in Pensacola in the United States. Uh, you know, it was packed out. People queuing outside the church to get in. Thousands were trying to get in. And you know, at, at, at Steve, Steve Hill, he's going to be with the Lord now, but he was the evangelist of the Pensacola Revival. And every night, even before he can give an altar call for salvation or repentance, even before, he's just preaching and people are just rushing forward. They're rushing forward to just fall and cry out before God. It's painful, but it's liberating and it's incredible. Now, when that happens, you know God is present. How many of you would like to see it? Can I see your hands again? You really would like to see it? It will involve all of us and it will involve me. It will involve the pastors as well when God does. It's going to be painful, but yet it's going to be pulsating. Um, so I, I want you to really hunger for God like this. I want you to long to see the glory of God. See, when we worship, like just now, there was a wonderful presence of God. Amen? Yes or no? There was a wonderful presence of God. But you know, when the revival comes, God's going to say this. And there was a wonderful presence. And God will say, that's so good. I've seen your show. Now you just step aside and see my show. That's what he's going to say. And it's like, you have tasted my presence, you've tasted my glory, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. You know, Pastor Philip, I, I so desire for our church to walk in purity and holiness. And, and what you said about the stealing the chicken and the pigs and all that. And, and so here, I'm really praying that uh, we'll walk in oneness, in holiness and purity, and that will attract God's presence. But I want to ask you also, there are some of our people here who are new in River Life. And some of our people here uh, have come from other uh, faith traditions or church traditions where maybe they don't even see people speaking in tongues, healing and all that. And they're wondering, perhaps, uh, how about counterfeit? What's the counterfeit? And some of our younger people here as well, growing up here, have not seen revivals. And so also wondering, um, have a different context and background. So... So the unusual signs and wonders you, you talk about can make some, or maybe let's say if I'm in a, in a down period uh, question as well. So what are the lessons from Ephesus of, of the revival that, that help us figure out the genuine and the counterfeit? Okay, this is a very interesting question because uh, I, I want to talk about um, how revival can be extremely perturbing, okay? And I, I think, you know, the we all believe and we know and we accept, yeah, and we're completely, completely, you know, convicted and convinced that the Bible is the Word of God and is totally inspired by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen? Yes. Amen? Okay. Now, now you have to deal with what the Word of God says. We have to deal with what the Word of God says. We know that there was revival in Ephesus. Yes. Why was it a revival? For sure, because there was a church in Ephesus before Acts 19. We know it was established. It was doing chugging along, doing reasonably well, and then Acts 19... This episode happened. Revival broke out. To all intents and purposes, it fulfilled all the criteria of revival. Okay? Mass conversion, mass gospels, signs and wonders, you know, 
repentance, all that. We know it fulfilled all the criteria. But yet within that account, unusual things happen. Disturbing things happen. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't miss and allows these accounts to be written for us, then that must be because the Holy Spirit wants to teach us certain things about what revival may look like. Because this, this is the word of God. And the disturbing thing in this revival was uh, the episode relating to the seven sons of Sceva. And the seven sons uh, of Sceva, you remember, there was a Jewish exorcist, uh, and he had seven sons. And these seven sons uh, walked, they were exorcists, they walked into this, this church meeting. And you know, they had seen so much of uh, revival happening, they seen so much of healing, and they see many demons cast out, and you know, people heal in the name of Jesus. So they, they thought, that the way to, to do all these things was the name of Jesus. So, so they, they, they saw a demonized man. Now, you know, they came to the meeting. They saw a demonized man. And so, you know, especially in revival, all kinds of people will come to your meetings. All kinds. You know, even like, you know, mediums and all that, they will come to your meetings. Uh, and they came. And they saw this demonized man. And they commanded the spirit to come out. We command your, the evil spirit to come out, you know, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. That tells me they didn't believe in Jesus, but, you know, they, they saw, they thought it was just following the formula. And the, the demons, like, immediately replied, you know, I don't know what language they replied, but I know, like, Hokkien demons, they speak Hokkien. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the demons would reply in whatever language there was in there. They would say, like, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, but say, who are you? Yeah, and then the, the evil spirit leapt on them, all these seven sons, and battered them, we are told, battered them, and uh, they fled out of the beating, naked and wounded and battered. Now, supposing you were coming for the first time to the, the meeting in River Life, you're, you're an outsider, you just came, you're coming. Because you heard there's a revival in the church. And you see all seven naked men running out of the church. All battered and wounded and leaving a trail of blood behind them. What would you think? Is that revival or not? New Testament tells us there was a revival. You've got to cope with this. Because if you, if you do a knee-jerk reaction and you say, I'm knee-jerking. God cannot do this. Because, you know, you wouldn't have seven naked men running around, you know, out of revival. Well, I've, told, I've shown you in scriptures. That's part of revival. But is it the center of revival? No, of course not. These are the epiphenomenon of revival. These are the ancillaries of revival. These are the side streams and side effects of revival you will see. So if you need your response and say, I'm going to judge revival by what I see immediately, just my nature, you will say it is not of God. But if you say it may not be of God, in my view, but it could be of God still, let me just go in and find out. And you enter the church. And suddenly you, you're just overpowered by the presence of God because the worship there is so intense. Forget about the seven naked men who ran away already. And the power is so intense. It's exactly what happened in 1994 when Pastor Nancy and I, uh, we decided to visit Toronto. The revival had just broken out in January of that year. In October, we decided to go to Toronto. We flew there. God led us there. God told us to go. So we went. Um, and... We, after a 20-hour journey in Toronto, we arrived in Toronto, we were absolutely, you know, we were absolutely finished in terms of tiredness. We were totally tired. But we decided, you know, there was another meeting, a meeting. So we went to the first Toronto meeting. This was a Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. 
They were not having meeting in a big hall at the time. It's about the size of this, you know, but not, not tiered, but just a flat. And uh, our first encounter in that church was this encounter. So after the preaching of the word, the minister said, would anybody like to just line up because you are to receive, just line up. And we found out there were lines on the, you know, lines pasted by, you know, masking tape on the carpet floor. And they were about six feet apart. Why six feet apart? Because, you know, that's how the average American height, you know, when they fall down under the power of the spirit. So, so we, we stood at the back just to receive as the ministers came around. There was a wonderful presence of God there. And then just as Pastor Nancy and I were standing to receive, there, there was a man in the line just in front of us. He turned and looked at me, a big, huge, tall American, Canadian or whatever guy. And he would turn and look at me, and you could see there was a flashes of anger and redness in his eyes. He was coming for me for some reason. He just came towards me, and I know he was in, in that mood to really uh, assault me. I mean, punch me or, or pulverize me or whatever. You might, you know, I'm only a, you know, a five foot seven Malaysian, you know. So this guy was six foot two and hefty and was coming towards me to pulverize me. And then just as I said, God, please do something. And just as I said that, the Lord turned his attention to another guy next to me. <laughs> big size American, equally big. And so this guy came and swacked him one, and he managed to block it with his, his arms. And then a few other men jumped on this, uh, this aggressive guy who was obviously demonized and, and sat on him and struggled with him on the floor. About four men struggled with him on the floor and held him down and held him down for about 10 minutes. Meanwhile, ministry was going on. And then after about 10 minutes, this guy's kind of like totally exhausted. And so they released him. At which point he stood up on his feet and said, I have a message from God. And then he collapsed. Now that was our first meeting in Toronto Revival. <laughs> Is it of God or not? Obviously not. There was a demonic infiltration into that. That was demonic. But do you judge it by that? Pastor then said to me, let's go home. Because, you know, we didn't fly 20, 20 hours to see this. I said, no, no, just stay on there. Let's see what God wants to do. And the next seven, five days were the most wonderful times we had in Toronto, where God broke through in tremendous. There was a wonderful presence of God there. And we saw signs and we saw wonders. We saw repentance. We saw things that move. But if you knee-jerk and you just cherry-pick one or two incidences because there will be infiltration of the enemy, if you just cherry pick, you will judge revival on a knee jerk basis just by cherry picking. Give God a chance. He wants to do something if you're open. And I'm going to share a little bit more shortly about how we keep our hearts open. Yeah, so Pastor, Pastor Philip, the revival in Ephesus was one of the greatest in New Testament because the Bible says in verse 10, the word of God reached the whole Asia Minor. So the whole Turkey, modern day Turkey was reached. So that and unusual miracles, mass salvations. And so, so that was a, a powerful, and also what you just mentioned about the, the counterfeit in, in any revival. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier on the Welsh revival, which lasted about one and a half years. So the question I wanted to ask was, you know, in your readings, how do we keep a revival going once it starts? How, does it, how is it sustained is the question. So the thing about revival is that I, the, the initial impact of revival is often very, very exciting. The question is, will you jump in both feet into the revival and immerse yourself in the revival? 
If you do, how do you keep yourself continually immersed in the revival and draw everything that God wants you to draw from the revival? How do you keep yourself from not jumping in, jumping out and you know, being extremely critical about revival and, and just poo-pooing what God is doing? Well, I want to talk about shepherding revival briefly, okay? Shepherding revival is giving scriptural guardrails, you know, to explain the events of the revival uh, as it unfolds. So, and how we can continue to be open to it and how we can keep the fire burning, you know, and not quench the spirit in the revival as well as in our own hearts. The first thing to do is we must always bring revival back to the word of God. Okay, here's the point. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord was continually preached. In other words, during revival, we don't let the, the tail uh, lead the, you know, don't let the tail lead the dog, as it were. You know, the, the head must lead. The word of God must lead the revival. Somebody say amen. We can't let the revival experience lead the word of God. We, we continue to preach the word systematically, expositorily, uh, foundationally, rightly, accurately. We must continue. But at the same time, as we preach the word of God, we must be open uh, to what the word of God sometimes tells us. Because many of us, we are schooled in a particular school of seeing the word of God through those lenses only. Only certain lenses. For example, we may have a certain particular doctrine because we are schooled in a particular doctrine. So we, we looked at the word of God through reform lenses. That's a, that's a branch of, theolo- of, of theology. Or, you know, or we looked through, the, looked through um, uh, high church lenses. Or we looked through, um, through evangelical lenses. And, and so on and so forth. Now, there are many, many lenses. Or we looked through you know, uh, particularly Calvinistic lenses. Or all these kind of things. All these things are good in and, in and of itself, but they are not they are not necessarily the pure word of God. Doctrines, I just want to say it. Yeah. The word of God is infallible. Somebody say amen. Doctrines are not necessarily infallible because they are, many, they are the sum total of studies by men. By men. That's why no particular church doctrine has a monopoly of all the scriptural truths. And that's why we learn from each other. We may agree to disagree about the doctrines, but we, we respect a Reformed doctrine, a Wesleyan doctrine, a Calvinistic doctrine, or Evangelical doctrine. We respect all these, but they all have wonderful insights into great facets of truth in the Bible. Right? But they, they are facets of truth articulated by scholarly, godly men through history. And we respect that. But they do not have a monopoly on the Scripture as well. The Scripture has a monopoly on the Scripture. Somebody say, Amen. So when revival happens, sometimes we see Scriptures in new ways. Beyond the way we used to look at. And so the word of God prevailed right through. And the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. The first thing is about the word of God. So what does the word of God say about this? The word of God says about this. The, the fundamental thing we must understand in revival. And we must use the word of God to bring convergence to is. Does it glorify God? It may be outside our denominational experience. It may be outside our personal experiential grit. But does it glorify God? When a man struggles and shakes on the floor, but he gets up, does he stop beating his wife at home? Does he stop drinking? Does, does it glorify God? That's the main thing, okay? All revivals must see a fresh outpouring of God's glory that is tangible. Everybody say glory. In fact, in a short while later in equipping, I'm going to talk about God's glory. And it is God's glory that makes us hunger for Him. When we understand God's glory, we are always hunger for God. Yeah. Uh, 
It arrests people with holy awe and holy terror and brings about repentance, transformation. It says here, verse 17, fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord was magnified. Somebody say magnified. The name of the Lord was magnified. It has to be the glory of God. The second of the keys to shepherding revival is the fruit seen. As I said, you know, Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit. By the fruit, you shall know them. Now, let me ask you, you, supposing you were in the Ephesus revival, you would see, if you cherry pick the mess, you will see the mess. What's the mess you will see in the, uh, in the Ephesus revival? These are some of the mess. Public confessions of sins. Oh, yeah, not so nice because in our Asian culture, you don't, you don't publicly confess sins when uh, you're very quietly in a corner and you know, cry before God. Uh, we, sh- we should, in ordinary circumstances, what we do. But this is revival. Revival, people cry out and say, God, forgive me for X, Y, Z sin. Forgive me for... And some of it is it's very, in our Asian cultural context, shameful and shameful. But it's revival. So, but it disturbs us. So, you know, this is it's messy. Because we want quiet, tearful confession of sins quietly. In a corner somewhere. In a counseling room. But this is revival. So for us, it's messy. Number two, yeah. There's a pub, public impropriety and naked chaos. I already told you. Seven naked men running around. Uh, now, that's messy. If you happen to come on that day, it was messy. Then, you know, there's public offense to people of other faiths. Now, I must tell you, Christians don't give offense. And we are always, we, we peace the way. But in there, in, in the diner Artemis, you know, the, the people of the city of Ephesus took offense because, because they just took offense because they said, well, this is, this is disturbing the peace. There was no disturbance of the peace, but they just took offense. And, uh, the, the worshippers of Diana Artemis or in Ephesus uh, took offense. Even the Christians were not disturbing them and they were very peaceful and revival was taking place very peacefully. They took offense. Thirdly, there was, there was you know, and then because of that, there were some complaints and uh, the authorities came. You read Ephesus, the authorities came uh, and they were told to put down this quote-unquote public disorder. Now you may know that uh, you know, as Christians, we don't disturb the law of the land. Somebody say, amen. We are law-abiding citizens. And we are, there will be peaceful, always gathering within the realms of what God was doing. But if you look at the message that was Ephesus, these are some of the challenges uh, that came out in Ephesus during that time. So if we cherry-pick, uh, we will find that even uh, social media, for example, a revival broke out in Singapore. Social media will troll your particular church. You know, you find it. You know, you read Facebook and you read even the, the uh, media news portals, you will get it. And that's what happened in Azusa Street when it broke out in 1904, 1906, Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. Headlines in newspapers, all bad news, all bad things, you know. Now, you have to ask yourself, how many of you would like that and can you take it when that happens? It's inconvenient and there are challenges. There are challenges in revival because... There will be this sort of thing. But how do you judge revival at its end? Is God there? Even though in the midst of it, at the end. Yes. Why? Because the word of God grew. There was a mass turning to Christ. There was confession and repentance. There were signs and wonders and miracles. Demons were expelled and people were set free. There was public severance from demonic practices. There was widespread fear of the Lord in the city and the region. There was the glory and the name of God magnified. Somebody say amen. All these things were happening. It's undeniable. The last time I checked, the devil was doing none of these things. So it has to be God. If you don't, I don't think the devil was doing any of these things. So that tells us, in the midst of all these particular potential challenges that was happening in Ephesus, 
God's name was glorified and His name was magnified. Now, let me ask you after all this, right? How many of you still want revival? Can I see your hands? Wow. Let me ask one more time, okay? Because just slightly fewer hands went up. How many of you still want revival? Give me a shout and wave your hands. Because you want God. You want God. And where God is, that's His glory and His presence is. There's always joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness. Because these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Pastor Philip, thank you for that uh, explanation as well. I remember you, you mentioned Diana Artemis in that um, city. I mean, I remember the story how she was also the, the, this deity that was involved as like a sex goddess. And there were all these priestesses. And then when people got, got saved, and then, then they stopped buying idols to worship her. And so Demetrius and, and those, those blacksmiths, the union, rioted against Paul. So there was a, when their pockets were hit, they rioted. But Paul was all law-abiding and they were just preaching the gospel. Yes. So thank you for saying yes. that part. So uh, I, I guess um, you have talked about the spectacular, the amazing, some of the chaos, the, the counterfeit, and, and, and also how to sustain it. And I guess uh, the final question would be like this, would be our own hearts right now. How do I posture and prepare my hearts for what God's about to do in my heart and also in our midst here as well? And how do I keep my heart away from uh, skepticism, cynicism, and just, just general doubt and just have a posture of expectancy? Yeah, you know, when push comes to shove, um, as rubber hits the road, as they say, the posture of our hearts is all important in order not just to engage and encounter and face revival, but to immerse ourselves in it and flow with what God is doing. And the longevity of how, how much we draw and continue to flow in revival depends a lot on the posture of our hearts. Let me tell you um, why this is so important, okay? There are, there are the three keys to shepherding revival. The, the final bit, besides the word of God, you know, and the fruits of the revival, which are the two important keys, is thirdly a very personal bit how you shepherd revival, how you continue to flow in it, is the state of your hearts, okay? The state of our hearts sees that, okay, uh, tells us how we continue to see revival with all its imperfections, meaning that there is demonic infiltration, okay? There will be unusual things happening. How we continue to see revival is very dependent on the Word of God in our lives. The fruits that we see emerging out of this, even though there may be seeming chaos, because God is in control. And thirdly, you know, from the state of our hearts. If we are spiritually dry when revival comes, revival may sweep us into the God's presence and we, we, we fall in love with Jesus again. And, you know, we are revived personally. But if we remain spiritually dry, that means we detach ourselves from the flow of revival and we, we see, we want to judge revival with a, with a very critical posture. It doesn't mean that we don't critique revival. I don't mean that. I mean that we have a very critical posture, you know, uh, disparaging, detach, dis a dry posture towards revival. The way we will judge revival is often doctrinally based. And we're more doctrinally bound than Jesus loving. Because we'll use our minds and our doctrinal bias to judge harshly uh, any move of the Spirit. Because it's just outside our denominational grid or outside our experiential grid. 
we actually may even ignore the fruits of the, whole, of the spirit of revival and keep pointing to messy epiphenomenons. In other words, we get sidetracked by messy epiphenomenons, like some of the things I mentioned. And when we do that, that's how the Welsh Revival died out. You know, Welsh Revival is one of the greatest revivals in history, in modern history. But it died out after 18 months. Oh, by the way, the Welsh Revival was the precursor of the Azusa Street Revival that happened in America, you know, a few years later. It was a precursor. But the Welsh Revival itself died out after 18 months. Let me just tell you very quickly about uh, the background to what I mean by this. When I first went to Toronto in 1994, people told me that the Toronto Revival was bringing back intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Into, and it was emphasizing the arms of the Father. You know, you go into... Many, many pastors went to Toronto Revival. They were wiped out. They were dry. They were washed out. They were about to give up ministry. They came back filled with the fresh love of God because they, they felt the embrace of the Father and there was intimacy with Jesus. And God knows that we all need that. It was 1994. Pastors' lives were turned around. They, they, they were about to give up ministry. They came back to the churches and the churches flourished. Um, and many, many lives were like that. But when we went, but epiphenomenon in Toronto, there are lots of epiphenomenon. Like what? You know, the people have funny movements in Toronto. They were, they were like jerking all over. When they were, they were under the power of the Spirit, they were jerking, you know. Uh, and sometimes quite unsightly. So when we first went to Toronto, um, you know, on the first morning that we went there, uh, the usher greeted us at the, the, the church door. And he says, welcome to our Toronto, Toronto Vineyard Church. I'm like, what's this? I've never seen it before. And then, you know, the, the further ushers in the, in, the, in, in the church, they were doing the same thing. And even when the, the speaker came out to give the announcement, you know, he was jerking as he was walking up here. I'm like, you know, I didn't come see a bunch of jerks, you know, all the way from 20, 20 hours of flying. And I thought it was such a, you know, so distracting for me. You know, just, just why, why do you have to jerk like that? But it was just an epiphenomenon in Toronto. And I, I, I mocked it so much so that when Nancy, when Nancy and I went back to our, our hotel room, the moment the hotel room uh, shut, I would just mimic the jerks, you know. And she was like, don't do it, don't do it. You are, you know, you just, I said, oh, the mimic, you know, how are you today? I would just tell her, you know, I wake up in the morning, I say, are you well? You know, I was like, I was mimicking her. I was disparaging the, the I was disparaging the revival. And I was like, like this, until the last day. And, you know, nothing had happened to me. Uh, the last day, something happened to me. Uh, I, I fell on the floor and rolled on the floor when, when somebody prayed for me. I was immersed in laughter. I was laughing and rolling on the floor. Very undignified. And Nancy was looking at me and said, what's happening to this guy? And then when I got off the floor and I was walking towards her, I started jerking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, don't criticize what happened to you. you know? so, all this epiphenomenon. But so, so it happened to me. And then, then, then I saw, God, you are here in this place. Something is happening. I see so refreshed. What's the fruit? The fruit was, I felt so refreshed. I was filled with God's joy. I wasn't a pastor at the time, but God did something to my life. But that night, this is an incident that happened. That night, when uh, the minister got up to minister, it was a huge hall by that time. It was about 4,000 people. And uh, this guy, this guy, in, he, was, he was drinking Coke as he was ministering. Are you allowed to drink you know, Coca-Cola? Because are you allowed to drink Coke when you're minister out there as you walk along? He was wearing jeans in those days, 1994. He was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. He was ministering. I'm like, Holy Spirit must be offended with this guy. Lah. You know, how can you drink Coke as you're walking around ministering? But anyway, he said, 
uh, there's a lady over there, this hall of 4,000. You're somewhere around there, he says. Your name is Sonia. God wants to speak to you. Nobody came up. He waited about two minutes. There's a lady over around that region. Your name is Sonia. God wants to speak to you. And nobody came up. And then after about waiting for two minutes, a lady came up from the other side. You know, her, she, he asked her, is your name Sonia? She said, yes. She says, okay, I'll pray for you in a short while. But you're not the one. There's a lady over there. Your name is Sonia. God wants to speak to you. And I thought to myself, if I just minister, after two minutes, nobody come up from the side. I'll take la, this up. Maybe I got my directions wrong. <laughs> Maybe I got my compass wrong, you know. I thought, oh, it's pressure. But he said, I was like, this is wow. Everybody was quiet, just like this. It was cold and quiet. And suddenly a lady came out. She was about five foot two, stocky, you know, and red hand. And, and this man said, is your name Sonia? She said, yes. He says, I, I want you to know that normally I don't say this, but I want you to know so that you know it's God. You have been, you have been suicidal about three times. And with that, she just burst out crying. And she said, then the God wants to say to you, you know, welcome back to the arms of the Father. Because God's going to restore your life. That, 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 the prophecy went. I'm like, what is happening? We were just sitting down there. What's happening to this? Ah, very emotional thing. Now. That night, yeah, after the meeting, the following uh, meeting on that, on that night, um, Sonia came out and gave a testimony. While she was at the age of 18, she fell in love with a man in the church. That man, she went to church, she fell in love. The man was a deacon. That man uh, committed adultery with her, then left his wife, married her, and then became abusive towards her. She gave birth to a son. After that, marriage deteriorated, became abusive, uh, you know, and physically and verbally abusive, and then eventually marriage broke up, and she was left with a son. And then on the rebound, she met another man who said he loved her, married. And then the whole thing repeated itself, became physically abusive and verbally abusive. So she left uh, with a son. Son grew up by that time, was a preteen or teenage, young teenager, um, many years. And, uh, and then the son met with an accident and died. It was incredible. It got from bad to worse. And she, she met another man who said she loved her. And she, she did all kind of menial jobs, including at one point just walking the streets, you know. And then married the third time, and their whole marriage broke up. But she told, she said, no, there is no God, because the man who first deceived me was from the church. I will never go back to church again. But one day she was walking by a church, and somebody, and then she, did, she heard some singing, so she went in just to sit down. And from nowhere, a man came up to her and said, you know what, and, and, and introduced himself to her, and they got talking. And the man said, you know, you should go to Toronto. There's something happening there. And she said, no, what's happening? I don't know what's happening in Toronto. Uh, you know, I don't want to go to Toronto. I said, man, the man said, I believe, God, you should go to Toronto. I, just a, I buy your ticket. This is your ticket. Please go to Toronto. Give her an uh, air ticket to go to Toronto. She said, no, I don't take any, I, you know, I, I don't take charity. And she was arguing. But he mentioned, said, please go. So she decided, you know, paid for. So she decided to fly to Toronto. And she arrived in Toronto and she came back to the back through that door on their backside. This was a, this was a leaders and pastors conference and 4,000 of us. And she was sitting at the back there. She sat down and we were all worshiping God during the time. And she said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know. I mean, I don't belong here. She sat at the corner and she cried out to the Lord. Then everybody sat down, you know, just worship was over. And she sat down and, and she, was, she cried out to the Lord. She said, I don't know what I'm doing here. She said, Lord Jesus, you know me. She said, Lord, my name is Sonia. 
And at that point, the minister walked across the, 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 the stage and said, there's a woman over there. The vast auditorium for that. Your name is Sonia. God wants to speak to you. Wow. If I didn't hear it from this woman, I would never have believed it. But these kind of things happen in revival. How do you judge revival? You judge it by the epiphenomenon only and you knee jerk, you will miss out. If you had gone home the first night we came and got confronted by this demonized man, we would have missed all of this. But as it is, if you hunger for revival and your heart is open, God will meet with you. And, and even now, I will tell you that with Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts was the, was the leader of the Welsh revival. After 18 months, he was physically exhausted because he was preaching so much. He didn't know how to do teamwork. It was just dependent on him uh, and his, his team. But even then, every time he was preaching nonstop, he was exhausted. So he stayed in the house of a woman called Jessie Penn Lewis. Jessie Penn Lewis was an educated woman. Robert, Evan Roberts, by the way, was a coal miner. He only had high school education and incomplete high school education. Jessie Penn Lewis was an educated woman. She was wealthy. She was a committed woman uh, to the Lord. She was a great author. She was a great publisher of books. She was a speaker at Keswick Conference conferences or, and all kinds of conferences. And, uh, and she and her husband invited Evan Roberts to stay with her, stay with them. And while they were, but Jesse Penn Lewis influenced Evan Roberts that many of the epiphenomenon in the Welsh revival were not of God. And therefore the Welsh revival was probably not of God. And Evan Roberts was influenced. And about a year and a half after being with Jesse Penn Lewis, he stayed there uh, in her house as her guest, you know, recovering uh, from all the tasks of the Welsh revival. He wrote a book together with Jesse Penn Lewis called The War of the Saints, which actually discounted the Welsh revival and all its supernatural happenings. And with that, he never went back to Wales again for 20 years. This is uh, Evan Roberts and the Welsh revival died. So, you, it's easy to kill a revival because God is always a God. He never forces anything. If he says, if I'm not welcome, then I'm not welcome. I'm not welcome. And then the revival will fade. And that's how it happened. So what postures should we adopt as a state of our hearts? Even as we prepare for the 21 days of fasting, even as we prepare for an expectation of God wanting to break out in a supernatural way in our midst, let's be Jesus-loving and Jesus-centered. Somebody say Amen. Let's be desperate for more of God. Can somebody say amen? Somebody say desperate? desperate. Let's be open to flow with the Holy Spirit and not to control. It's okay to let go and let God. Somebody say amen. Let's be humble and not proud. You know what? I have been you know, in, in, you know, in Christian life for the last 30 years. I've seen everything that I want to see. And you know what? No. Just be humble. Because before all God, before God's glory, we are silenced. Let's fear God, not man. And let's hate sin, but love God's grace. Somebody say amen. And if you find this uh, helpful, um, I've, I've written two books, uh, three books actually, but I've just brought two books here. Firstly, it's The Invasive Kingdom. As many of you know, I'm a bivocational pastor. I believe God wants to mobilize every one of you to be a workplace believer 
and a workplace minister. I want, believe God wants to mobilize every one of us to go into the workplace and bring his kingdom, bring his glory, bring his revival in the workplace. As not just as a believer, but as a minister in the workplace. How to do that? Read the invasive kingdom. Because when we go to work on a Monday morning, God says to us, we are invading we are invading the workplace. The kingdom of God invades the workplace. Somebody say amen. And the second thing is about prayer. It's called the call of Issachar. It's about the tribe of Issachar, which knew what Israel ought to do. You know, who knew the signs of the times. If you want to know the signs of the times and what the nation ought to do and what God's people ought to do, you need to be like a tribe of Issachar. So that's why I call this book on prayer intercession, the call of Issachar. That's just a little short promotion at the end. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, we have learned so much from Pastor Philip. Uh, this, uh, we're so glad that he's uh, going to Tungling Bible College and we could borrow him for this morning. So um, what I've learned uh, from this short session is that uh, from Ephesus in Acts 19, that the greatest revival in the New Testament, when I remember you were saying he went to speak at the synagogue, he was kicked out, and then he went to preach at the Hall of Tyrannus. And so when God closes a door, he opens a other doors. Absolutely, you know? yes. And then, th- then that revival hit the whole Asia Minor, the whole Turkey, hit the gospel. And there were, there was, there were miraculous wonders, uh, spectacular wonders. There was counterfeit. And I, I want to encourage our church here that as the Lord does something special, as the Lord cleanses our hearts, that to love people through the process. To love people through the process. And ourselves also be humble and be, just be open to what the Lord will do in our own lives. And whenever God cleans house, He starts with His own house in the church. And the confession part and all that. So I, I want to ask you as well to remain humble, contrite before the Lord, and keep this oneness and unity that the Lord would come in His glory. So, Pastor Philip, would you, would you pray for us as a church uh, before we enter this uh, tomorrow, actually, our 21 days, and then we'll worship together. Pastor Philip, please pray for us here. Father, I just thank you for each and every one here. Thank you for this wonderful church, oh God. Lord, you said that you will make highways in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And that stream shall become a river. And this is the name of this church. It's a river. And in that river, there is life. And Lord, we we must not forget the origins of what you began and yet you want to do. So Lord, right now, as all our hands are lifted up right now and our hearts are open right now to the Spirit of God, I just pray, Father, that you will just do a deep supernatural work in the life of each one. Everyone here that... Lord, you will give us a supernatural hunger from heaven in our hearts, oh God. That even as our hearts are open to you today, Holy Spirit, you will speak into our hearts. You will drop, oh God, that dew from heaven. That you will stir within our hearts, oh God, just a longing for, to go beyond, to be all beyond. Lord, we look at wilderness and we see nothing. We look at deserts, we see nothing. But you are building highways, highways in the wilderness, Lord. And you're building streams, rivulets and streams, and eventually becoming a river in the desert. 
And every time there are, high, there are, there are wilderness and every time there's desert sand, there will, be, there will be challenges. There will be dryness. There will want things that want to dry us up. They will want to block the work of the Holy Spirit and the highways of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, it will not happen in our hearts. Our hearts will become a highway of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts of God will become streams and rivers of God for all that you want to do so that we will be bringers of life. We will be, Lord, channels of life and we will be bringers of life. Lord, as our hands are lifted up and our hearts are open to you, we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, your glory be seen. And that our hands will touch, our eyes will see and our hearts will rejoice, Lord, with a revival that we will experience and flow in before we close our eyes to go to be with Jesus. We will see revival in our lifetime. And we believe it with all our hearts that it will take place, God, firstly in our hearts and then in our nation for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen and Amen, amen and amen amen, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the River Life podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.